In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I still remember that sign above my high school weight room. Yes, believe it or not, I did lift weights once. Never did anything for me, though. (laughs) But it had this quote. It's one of those cheesy motivational quotes. It said, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. It was a saying that my track coach drilled into my bones because I was and I still am the stubborn type, but also primarily because I did not have much talent. So when I had 12 repeat 400s on the track and after giving all that I had left on the last one, the 12th one, and I'd collapse on the infield grass of the track and it completely exhausted, my coach would come over stand over me, look down, and say, one more, Keeker. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard, you know. And so I'd get up and I'd do it. Or the week I had 92 miles I logged. I had to run 92 miles one week, and I had a 19-miler one hot, humid Saturday morning. I had been running for over three hours. I My legs felt like they were about to fall off my body, and I finish at the high school, and there's my coach standing under that sign. And he just looks up at it slowly, and I thought, oh, oh no, no, you can't do this to me. And he looked back at me, and he said, four more miles, Keeker. So I did it. Oh, how I did it, I don't know. But why I did it, I did it because I wanted to be a great runner. I wanted to run in college and get a scholarship. And I discovered through hard work, miles and miles on the road, two-a-day practices, the quote was true. If you work for something, if you prepare for something, if you put in the effort, then you will Excel over what you're otherwise capable of doing without preparation. You'll run quicker times the more you run, train. You'll hit more free throws the more you shoot. You'll hit less wrong notes the more you practice your instrument. You will do, at the very least, better if you work hard than if you had never worked, never prepared, never sweat, read, or studied. Do you remember a time in your life Were you prepared for something meaningful? A time when you battled and you fought for the woman of your dreams. All the things that you did for her. You wrote cute little notes and you put them on her car. You sent her flowers just because. You gave up the video games. All so that you could sweep her off her feet and marry her. Or how about a time when you put in the work to succeed in a sport in high school or a musical instrument or an art? A time when you lifted or you trained, you practice, you put on the sweatsuit, you shoveled protein powder down your guzzle, convinced it would increase your biceps? Or how about all those years that you spent in preparing to do something worthwhile for a living? Law school, vocational college medical school, engineering, 
education and machinery, college, university, two years you spent, four years, five years, six years, eight years of studying and reading and learning and memorizing and thinking, all so that you could do what you've always wanted to do. Do you remember a time like that when you had goals and dreams and passions and you strove, you prepared, you worked hard so that you could achieve them? Well, what about now? What are you preparing for now? Because I know most of you well enough to know that you're no longer writing those cute little notes and you're playing the video games again. And you're already doing what you love. You have the job. Or you're retired. And sports and athletic accomplishments were a long time ago. So then what is it? What are you preparing for then? May I suggest to you that what, you're pre that what you prepare for now has never changed. That through all your schooling, through your sports, through marriage and raising a family, and through your work and leisure, through hardships, disease, and frustrating elections, through all toil and snare, you have been preparing for this ultimate worthwhile moment. The coming of the King. Your Lord Jesus, the Bridegroom, who was crucified on Calvary's cross and who rose from the dead, will raise you one day. And when you see him, the eyes of the one who formed you, who knitted you together in your mother's womb, who has been given authority from God the Father to judge the living and the dead, and who holds the keys of death and hell in his hands. Will you be prepared to meet him? How does one prepare to meet him? Well, isn't that why we are here and why you're listening to this sermon? Do we gather in the church to lift weights? No. To study? To work really hard? To learn? No. To memorize? No. Jesus tells a parable about ten young women. They go to meet their bridegroom, he says, but these women, they're not all the same. They're, there's a difference among them. Five of them are foolish and five of them are wise. And the difference between the wise and the foolish is seen in that the wise bring flasks of oil for their lamps, but the foolish ones don't bring any extra oil. But here they all are. They're waiting on the bridegroom to arrive. And they wait. And they wait. And they wait. But because of the bridegroom's delay, they all grow tired of waiting and they fall asleep. Is this how we prepare? By sleeping? Well, no. They're no better than the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane who fall asleep when Jesus is delayed and are not prepared for the bridegroom to arrive on his cross. 
but at least they're no worse than the Israelites who before Mount Sinai, when Moses is delayed for 40 days, they craft a false god, a golden calf, and they're not prepared for the bridegroom to arrive through the proclamation of his law. So sleeping, well, I guess they could have done worse, but like you, they grow tired. They fall asleep when Jesus is delayed in his arrival. We can't even wait a few days for a presidential election to wrap up without being filled with all sorts of fear and anxiety and sleeplessness, yet our king delays 2,000 years and we can sleep peacefully about that. That's not right, but so it goes when one trusts in the city of man. But that's not quite the problem of this night. The problem's revealed later on. At midnight, there's a cry, a trumpet blast, perhaps, a cry of an archangel that sounds familiar but distant in a way at the same time like a dream that we all had once long ago that we can faintly remember but we've long forgotten the seriousness and the reality and the impending judgment in the midst of all the concerns about living in this world yet this heavenly cry does go out here's the bridegroom come out and meet him So these women, they wake up. But when the foolish ones awake, they realize right away that they had no oil. So they run to the city, to the dealers, to purchase some more. But while they're gone, the bridegroom comes. And he lets the women into the wedding feast, and he shuts the door after them. And sometime later, those women who had left to purchase more oil return to the door, and they say, Lord, Lord, open to us. But Jesus replies, Truly, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Why? Why doesn't Jesus let them in to the door, to the wedding feast? Why doesn't he open the door to them? It's not because they don't have oil. Nowhere does Jesus say that they're not allowed in because their lamps aren't burning or trimmed. To the contrary, they have lamps that are burning. They went to the market and they purchased the oil they needed. And yet, here the Lord is not letting them in even with lamps burning. So there goes that gospel blues song that says, keep your lamps trimmed and burn and burning, because that's not the problem here. Not at all. Why doesn't Jesus let them in, even with burning lamps, even with oil? Because they weren't there when he came. They weren't in the place where the bridegroom arrives. They had left. And why did they leave? What was their concern? What did they spend their entire life preparing for? Well, look at their words in the story. Jesus says, as soon as they wake up, they say, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. They're only concerned about their oil. Their only concern is to keep their lamps trimmed and burning, burning. They're so concerned about their lamps going out, so preoccupied with their oil or lack thereof, that they will spend their entire day searching, seeking, striving, working, laboring, preparing to get more of it. 
I need more oil. Give me more oil. I need your oil. They never have enough to fill them up, do they? It's no surprise that it is the first thing that occupies their attention when they awake. They immediately look to their own lamp, to their own oil, and they see that it is withering away. And so they go where they always go to find more, to the city of man, to a dealer who dishes it out at a price, a price that you must pay at a cost which will cost you not only precious time, resources, and energy, but indeed it will cost you your very life. For when they come back to the Lord, filled to the brim with the oil that they found in this world, and they say, let us in, Lord. Look at our lamps, Lord. Look, we're so filled up, Lord. We're ready now for your arrival. We're ready, Lord. Lord, open to us. But they're fools, selfish, and entrapped by the snares of this world. See, this is what the wise know and the fools fail to see in the parable. The oil found in the world never can prepare you to meet the king. And those concerned about their own lamps going out, those concerned with keeping their own life a burn and burn and filled to the brim so that they run to the city of man are driven by selfish desires and they will never have enough. They drink deeply from wells that never fill, but rather enslave. But even worse, they scamper and flee in the darkness, away from the very place that the bridegroom comes. They search all day long for the best that this world has to offer them. They strive for it, they buy it, and they spend their entire life preparing for it one drop at a time. But when they finally get around to returning back to the place where the bridegroom comes, they will find a locked door and hear the voice of Jesus say, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour. You and I were waiting for the bridegroom to come. That's why you're here, to prepare for his coming. And how do we prepare? First and always and daily, by repentance. By confessing your sin before him. Acknowledging that our oil is completely out. Our lamps aren't trimmed our flame extinguished long ago, and that we have nothing to offer you. We've fallen short, each and every one of us to the life that you desire and you call me to live. You prepare for the arrival of the king by confessing that you have not loved him with your whole heart, that you haven't loved your neighbor as yourself, and that you have failed to watch and to wait for him as you ought. You confess that when he returns to judge you, that you deserve to be locked out. You deserve to hear the frightful words uttered from his godly lips, I don't know you, because of what you've done. 
where you've gone. And the addictions that keep you running around aimlessly in the city of man into dealer after dealer. We gather here in this place not to hold up our burning lamps that are so often filled with the pleasures of this world, but to hold up before God what we really are on our own, a broken, empty vessel, and acknowledge that we have nothing but only a humble confession and a broken and contrite heart that admits to him all of our faults, our many faults, our most grievous faults. And how you have looked at the things of this world and you've indulged and drank from the deep wells of pleasure and happiness which are not of him. And you've run to your dealers believing that the oil they have to give you it's better than having nothing and simply waiting on the bridegroom to return. This is what the wise know and the fools fail to see, that waiting upon him and him alone is how one prepares. Whether your lamp goes out or blazes like the sun, whether your cup is completely dry or runneth over, whether your wick is trimmed or not through every danger, toil, and snare, through all disease, pain, and suffering, through sin, sickness, death, and the power of the devil, no matter what, through all the storms of life, they continue to wait upon the Lord. In silence, O Lord, for you my soul waits. In repentance and in humility, in the place where he arrives, where he's promised to come. The wise would rather wait on the Lord with nothing in their hands than to have everything this world has to offer them, but not be found in that place of his arrival. Let me suggest to you that that's precisely why you're here in this place. You're preparing to meet the king. Because you are both a fool and wise, a sinner and a saint. The Lord knows all the places that you've run this week looking for more oil that's not of him. He knows how you seek assurance and your sense of worth in the city of man and the rulers of mankind and in the oil that they offer. And it never ends, does it? It never fills you up. Yet you keep running to those places and drinking deeply from their poisonous wells and leaving the place where your bridegroom arrives. Yet here you are, a dear child of God, in the place where the bridegroom comes to be with his people, in his proclaimed word and in his blessed sacraments. Here, in this place, you are prepared for his arrival. You are prepared for his arrival by meeting him now. You confess your sins before him, and he arrives, and he announces your sins are forgiven you. You wait upon him, and you listen for his word, and he arrives, and he speaks to you his words of both law and gospel from this pulpit and that lectern. You gather here at the font, and you wait upon him, bringing your children, and he arrives. 
and washes you clean in the water with his word. You gather here at the altar and you wait upon him and he arrives before your very eyes in the Eucharist to forgive you your sins. And when he does arrive, when the fruits of his cross are placed right before your very eyes and in your ears and upon your tongues, you believe that he is doing his godly work and preparing you now for the arrival of the King of Kings to come. He arrives among us to do what Jesus loves to do with sinners, to forgive, to eat with them, and to make them holy in order to prepare them for the city of God. Like the women, we too sleep well, knowing and trusting that God will come and that he will make us ready, and it's not the other way around. But when you awake at the cry of command, and the Lord of Lords raises your flesh from the grave, Don't look at your lamp. Don't look at the oil that you have. But only look upon your Savior and Him alone for every good thing. For He will surely provide all that He's already promised you in His Word. You're mine. Welcome to the feast. Come. You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our bridegroom. Amen. I have one short brief announcement I wanted to share at the end of the sermon for you all who may have not seen the email. Um, I want everyone to know here at Trinity that we currently have several parishioners who are suffering with COVID-19. And one is hospitalized and many are battling um, all different types of symptoms, upended routines, isolation. Um, It's difficult on people when they catch this for a variety of reasons. And so I ask that you would please keep one another in our entire community in your fervent prayers, because when one person suffers, we all suffer together. COVID-19 is hitting our community especially hard these past few weeks. So let us seek to outdo one another in love, knowing that love covers a multitude of sins. I want you to know that as a service to you, I will once again, as I did back in March and April, offer individual time slots for you and your family to gather here around the Lord and to receive Holy Communion, apart from the large gatherings if you desire. Now, my sister's getting married this coming Saturday, so I'm going to be away on November 15th. But when we have our next Communion Sunday, which will be November 29th, I will begin that practice of offering that for you. 
So whether you are here at the regular services or here at an individual time slot, I look forward to seeing you at the place where our bridegroom comes. If you're unable to come here to church, give me a call. I'm happy to bring the bridegroom to you in your home. I look forward to seeing you soon. May the Lord bless you in the work that he's given you to do in caring for your families and our community. May the Lord watch over you and defend you from all harm and danger to both body and soul. And may the Lord grant you his peace, which truly surpasses all understanding. Amen.